Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. It's great to be with you. I can't believe we're just days. It feels like we're moments away from being in that Christmas season, celebrating the coming of Christ at Christmas. If you're like me, it's my favorite season of the year. That is Advent. And Christmas makes it that much better if you've been preparing all Advent long. And it's not too late. I was just talking to my husband. He's like, I think I want to do, you know, a few day fast leading up to Christmas. There's something to kind of create this time, this space and separation between the Advent season and the Christmas season. We're over here busy planning Christmas Eve menus and Christmas menus and fun foods and lots of delightful things to eat so that we can feast. Remember not to get distracted by the gifts you still have to get or by the food that you're making or who is or is not coming over or who you will or will not be with. All of those things can be so frustrating, but they're actually moments and opportunities for us to say, you know, I'm going to let go of this right now and remember why we are feasting because it's a feast day. It's Christmas and that marks the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ. And it's so important that maybe we use this week as an opportunity to practice charity as we have frustrating moments with family, with ourselves, with timing and everything else. We didn't actually have the opportunity to talk about it yesterday here on Trending, but that fourth Advent candle on the Advent wreath that we see in our homes that maybe we grew up with those Advent wreaths, maybe you light them in your own home now, or at least in the church, you see that Advent wreath that is there, the candles are lit, but no one ever says anything about it. We've explained the significance of the Advent wreath. We'll actually post a link in the podcast notes for today's show if you want to listen to that. But that fourth candle in the advent wreath because we go purple purple pink purple right so each one represents something the first one we talked about how it represents specifically the virtue of hope the second represents the virtue of peace the third the virtue of joy that gadate sunday that we celebrate everyone knows because father wears pink vestments and then that fourth advent candle representing charity the theological virtue we have to remember that that theological virtue is infused in us but at our baptism, those baptismal graces include the virtue, the theological virtue of charity. It's an absolute gift. So with the theological virtues, that's kind of one of the hard things for us to understand. You can't kind of just work at trying to get this virtue. It's a gift. We have to pray for it. We have to, yes, we can develop on our end, but ultimately charity is the love of God. Not just our love for God, it's the love of God. We have God's love within us. And so that means learning to love others, ourself, and him the way he does. 
God himself loved his only begotten son unconditionally. God loves us unconditionally. We are called now to return that love and loving him, loving others, and ourselves. And people will often talk about joy and how it's the acronym that also stands for Jesus, others, you. I think it's an important reminder as you maybe have difficult moments with family, in-laws, you know, having too much, too little, you know, frustration with it, you know, getting access to gifts, all of those things that we're practicing this virtue of charity, that we're praying for this virtue. I've been walking during this Advent season through um, one of the um, exercises of doing the this longer form of a daily examination of conscience. And it's a very Ignatian way of doing an examination of conscience. And it starts by you pondering the bap- your baptism and seeing yourself as a child of God, stepping outside of yourself and seeing reality, your day, what you did today as not just, you know, the way and the spin you like to put on it, justifying everything we do and don't do, But it's looking at reality as God sees it, looking at the good and the bad, celebrating the good, acknowledging those difficult moments that are really areas to grow where we've outright fallen and struggled with sin. And then we look ahead to the next day, challenges for the next day, and ponder those virtues necessary. There are circumstances where we're going to have to be prepared to be strong, to deny ourselves to follow Christ, to pick up our cross and follow him. That's what the Christ, the cross represents. Life-giving, self-giving love, sacrificial love, and it's bloody, it's bruised, and it's beaten. We don't often think about the crucifix on Christmas Day because we don't actually like to think where that baby led. I think part of the reason why the world so significantly has really come together around this Christmas season with the celebration of the lights and everything is because... Most people love and appreciate the gift of new life in a baby. Even if they're pro-abortion or whatever, they're okay with babies, just not on the terms that they don't want them. Versus Easter's not as... Uh, not as fathomable to them. So even, you know, people who aren't Christian, they may celebrate the lights and even bring the Christmas trees in. But those things they do, not because they're celebrating Christ's birth, but because there's something significant in the culture for years, hundreds of years, a couple thousands of years that has become so embedded in the culture. Easter is a little more difficult to swallow because it has to do with a bloody death. But if we look towards Christ at Christmas... And especially if you maybe read a book I always recommend, St. Alphonsus Liguori's work, especially on the incarnation of Christ, which has great meditations during Advent, 10 out of 10 recommend. It's a somewhat morbid because it keeps pondering the fact that Jesus Christ, this little baby that we endear ourselves to, he endears us to him, ultimately has the trajectory, the future of being on the cross. And that's what we're transforming all of this joy into. There's joy in the birth of Christ, but there's joy in the cross of Christ. And the two can't be separated. And so this is where charity comes in. This self-denial, this love of others. Seeing that his love was so great, he didn't just become a baby to endear us to him, to have that delight in looking at a child. He also presented the opportunity to live and then die with him as well. And this is where we can work on practicing that virtue of charity. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. Okay, I have some questions for you. 
Someone asked me this yesterday, and I really have been pondering this, and I want to hear from you. The number is 1-888-914-9149. Okay, hold on a second. Stoked on Instagram just said she's on her way to make her first confession as a baptized Catholic. Congratulations, Stoked. Um, our prayers for you as you come into the church and making your first confession. That's really exciting. So I had to share that live little bit of news because we, you know, we don't always have the opportunity, especially in the world of COVID from the last couple of years to celebrate people who have come into the church. Uh, we've kind of missed some of these celebrations. So stoked, know of our prayers for you. Congratulations on joining this great and glorious Catholic family. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. So the question I'd like to hear from you on, numbers 1-888-914-9149, is what challenges do women face today in our culture? What challenges do we face as women? Because we hear all the time about abortion, contraception, women's rights being taken away, but people don't really talk about what are the actual challenges we face today as women. I'd love to hear from you, 1-888-914-9149, or you can join me by asking the, or answering the question on Instagram now. Would love to hear from you. Follow me at Timree, that's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Okay, so... We're going to talk about that. We're also going to discuss why you shouldn't get a vasectomy. I'm so sick of hearing these snip-snip jokes that women make about how their husband's getting a vasectomy this week. And I just, I am astounded. Like, if a woman heard a man saying something like that about her and her so-called, quote, reproductive rights, she would be so shocked and will be so upset. Yet for some reason, women think it's okay to make jokes about this actual procedure that's going to occur. Also, I was just talking to someone the other day who said that their, like, 20-year-old brother was talking about getting a vasectomy. And why? Why? Like, not even married. Okay, we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but I have another question for you. When do you purchase your Christmas tree and when do you get rid of your Christmas tree? When do you purchase your Christmas tree and when do you get rid of it? Okay, but then there's another question. And you can answer as well. Don't Google it. If you're on Instagram Live right now, you can also comment. I'd love to hear. When does Christmas end? This is actually controversial. When does Christmas actually end? I'm waiting. I would sing like the Jeopardy theme song or something, but I really can't sing, so I will spare you. Okay, so... We at least get, most of us, pat on the back, are going to get all the way up to the epiphany. Okay, you got it. There are 12 days. What am I listening to? Oh, there we go. Okay, we're waiting. Answer. Give your answers now on Instagram. When does Christmas actually end? Well, most of us are going to say epiphany. Good Catholic, you'll at least hit the epiphany, right? Which is, drumroll, the 6th of January, right? Okay, so unfortunately, a lot of people literally take their Christmas tree down, boom, the day after Christmas, or I know some people, talk about the Grinch, they take it down Christmas night. This is so sad. Like, I'm so sad. Who takes down their Christmas tree Christmas night? Who takes it down the day after Christmas? It just breaks my heart. And we don't have to go with public radio, which all stops playing Christmas music the day after Christmas. And some are kind of extending it now. Okay, so yeah, that is funny. Fun's over, kids. No more gifts. The tree is down. Okay, so Christmas season, you could dive into a lot of perspectives on this, but historically in the church, the church actually recognized that we were in a full season of Christmas 
all the way up to the presentation. By the way, Kat Pella on Instagram just got it. You were correct, Kat Pella. All the way up to the feast of the presentation, February 2nd. So the Christmas season actually goes all the way to the second. Now, over the last 60 years and a lot of the changes that have been made to the liturgical calendar, we've kind of lost this understanding of our liturgical seasons, but there's still this fantastic, robust liturgical season before us. So you first start with the eight-day octave of Christmas, which because when you have an octave in the church, we have a Christmas octave, we have also an Easter octave. There used to be more octaves than this. When the church sets aside eight days of celebration, this is a big deal. And the church recognizes, I think that it recognizes our fallen human nature and that we don't just get one day of, hey, really focus. Like these are eight really significant days. At least for me, they're eight days to kind of get fat because then I justify feasting every day and having dessert with every single one of the, the meals during the octave. But so then people usually go to the Epiphany, the sixth, which marks the coming of the wise men. And then some people will go, okay, the actual, what they understand is the baptism of our Lord on the 9th of January. But the actuality of it is that that Christmas season stretches all the way to the presentation, also known as the purification of Our Lady on February 2nd. This is a really significant day for our house because that's actually mine and my husband's anniversary. So last year we kept our tree, get this, all the way up to the presentation. We have the last couple of years since we got married, but then I think we also kept it up a couple weeks longer because it just sometimes you get really bad at taking down your tree. It's work. It's work. And I'm actually very spoiled. The last couple of years, my husband has completely disassembled our tree. I think my dad helped me a little bit last year, more so because he was like, it is middle of February and you have not taken this thing down yet. Well, it just got lazy with a new baby and packing for a move. I think I was clinging on like if I, um, if I take down my Christmas tree, that really means we're moving. So I think I was kind of digging my heels in. So here's just a little bit and I'd love to hear from you. You can comment. Let me know what you do. When do you purchase and get rid of your Christmas tree? So this year we actually, so we're waiting till the Feast of the Presentation, February 2nd, also known as the Purification of Our Lady, to take down our tree because it's a full season of Christmas. And so with that, this year we had kind of this big chunk of time where both my husband and I were going to be traveling in the middle of Advent and no one was going to be home to water our tree. I will confess I almost considered hiring a tree waterer I really did. Like someone just to come to my house and water trees. Have you done that before? It's kind of like a dog sitter, but I just don't do dogs. What a nuisance to have to hire a dog sitter. Anyways, so we decided, Father kept talking at the beginning of Advent about waiting until Christmas Eve to get your tree. I thought, well, why? That's interesting. And he kept explaining, you know, it kind of creates this marker between Advent and Christmas. So I thought, well, you know what? We are not going to hire tree water. We want our tree as usual to last all the way to February 2nd. And we really do want to create a distinction between Advent and the Christmas season and have more of a progression and decoration. So we just got our Christmas tree. We're still in the process of decorating it. And I'm kind of excited about this. It's been a neat thing to look forward to because as I've kind of longed for my Christmas tree to be in my house and I see everyone else's, that longing is a reminder for me as to why we're waiting to decorate the Christmas tree, why we're waiting to have the tree. And to start to bring those little elements of light and to bring those elements of greenery into the house, you know, green representing 
everlasting life. You know, the ornaments you can have, you know, your traditional Christmas ornaments. But this year I've been working on building up some of my Jesse tree ornaments. I've explained the tradition of the Jesse tree here on Trending. It's basically you have ornaments that help to tell the story of salvation history from creation all the way up to Christ. And so, you know, I've seen these done where people like print some online and put papers on their tree, but I'm kind of a little bit of a prude when it comes to my tree. Like I want it to be pretty and I don't have a lot of ornaments yet. So I decided to really kind of try to find symbols that would represent things in salvation history. So I got this really beautiful, like hand glass blown whale to represent Jonah and the whale. You know, look at that's one story. Um, I got, what else did I get? I got kind of some really cool looking decorative ships to represent Noah's Ark. I think I also have a Noah's Ark as well. You can do an apple for the story of Adam and Eve and the fall. There's so many neat things you can do. I think I did a crown to represent the Davidic kingdom to explain the Davidic kingdom. So I'm starting to build that up this year because the baby is only a year old. So she's not quite ready to kind of be taught or explained to all about, you know, the story leading up to Christ. Although I ended up receiving this beautiful, beautiful um, 25 days of Christmas advent calendar. And it tells a story of a little lamb named Cabrillo. And Cabrillo follows the story of the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph from the incarnation all the way up to the birth of Christ. It's the sweetest little thing. And, you know, the baby, my baby girl doesn't like understand everything that's going on. But I, you know, hop with a little paper cut out lamb and we open the doors and she's so excited to see behind the door. It's been really fun. Ignatius Press sells that if you want to check it out for this year, stock it away for next year. So those are kind of some of the things that we've been doing, this progression and decoration in our house, a progression bringing in more light, more green, and things that represent new life as we're in the season of desert during Advent and transitioning into the great feast of Christmas. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I'm going to come back and I want to hear from you. First, we're going to talk about why you shouldn't get a vasectomy, what the church teaches on this, but also share with me your thoughts. Give me a call, 1-888-914-9149 or comment now on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. The question today is what challenges do women face today? What challenges do women face today? Answer now. Follow me at Timmery to answer the question. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I'll be right back. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. It's so good to be with you. The question of the hour. I'd love to hear from you. What challenges do women face today? I'm going to discuss in just a little bit why you shouldn't get a vasectomy or support someone getting a vasectomy. But before we go there, really fascinating article from Vox having to do with the escalating cost of being single today in America. Single, Pringle, ready to mingle. I'm actually totally ratting out two of my sisters kind of here. So at one point in high school, each of them had a social media profile that had something to do with their singleness. I think my sister in high school had something like single mingle and ready to pringle with like big hearts in their eyes. Um, it was just really funny because she was really young, like 13 or 14. And then my other sister had, I'm sexy and I know it in her description. And 
I remember asking my sister because she was really young when she had it. I'm like, what do you mean by I'm sexy and I know it? And this like little stick cute kid like starts dancing with her arms back and forth. I'm sexy and I know it. It, it was like really funny because she had no idea what she was saying. Anyways, um, single profile, singleness during the holidays. Maybe you are bleeding that frustration of being single. So many people get the singles blues and it kind of reminded me of one of the topics that came up because this article, I think had some really good points, but at the same time, um, you could tell this person wrote because they were sensitive about the issue of being single. Ann Peterson writing at Vox wrote this article called The Escalating Costs of Being Single in America. And she basically goes on to first lay out the fact that whether their expenses, big or small, from rent and car and loans and insurance to Netflix and Hulu, you name it, that all of that, those expenses are set on one set of shoulders when you're single. And she discussed how really in today's culture, she argues that families, individual families are idolized or idealized and single people are not. She disagrees because she ends up clarifying that she believes, listen to this, single people should be the purest embodiment of American values of self-sufficiency and individualism. In other words, and Peterson at Vox is saying that single people embody what it means to be American. And that is, she's arguing, is self-sufficiency and individualism. Whoa, if you just heard what she said, she's saying that the embodiment, the best version of being an American is seen in our single people today who embody self-sufficiency and individualism. This is fascinating to ponder the philosophy and thoughts of our age when it comes to what it means to be a human person, what it means to be free as an American. Her version of freedom, this is a no-strings-attached freedom, void of any responsibility, pro-individuality, individualism, to the point of severing any type of relationship or responsibility that doesn't allow you to get ahead and be self-sufficient. This is what's fascinating. And I think it's really sad But at the same time, it helps us to understand that the new American dream for some people is you make no commitments to anything, anything or anyone else. You're self-sufficient. You're out for yourself. And that's what you need to work for in life. Sure, one could argue this builds a hard work ethic. But on the other side, it's lonely. The human person void of love and responsibility. And I'm not saying that single people are loveless. I'm saying her picture of the embodiment, the quote, purest embodiment of American values as self-sufficient and individualism, that these ideas, what she's arguing, are very self-centered. They're very broken from the rest of the world. And so I think that it's important that we understand what she's saying here, because then she goes on to say that the single person, this single embodiment of the perfect American value that she's saying is in the single person, she's saying it's not being idealized. And she complains that instead that the culture, this speaks to the fact that we don't venerate individuals, we venerate the individual family. And so what she's trying to then argue, but is doing it poorly, is I think she's then actually trying to say that our culture doesn't 
honor the individual person, but instead she's more so complaining about the fact that you and I aren't sensitive enough to all the people who carry the financial burden of their life on their own. And so this whole conversation is rather fascinating because at the same time as she's complaining and saying that single people can no longer manage the expense of life by themselves, she's at the same time saying that we need to celebrate the individualism of singlehood and this is the American future. This is the American dream. So let's talk about this just a little bit because I think it's very um, telling for us to ponder kind of some of the statistics when it comes to people who are living the single life today. And again, when I talk about single life, this could be due to singleness, being widowed, divorced. Um, You know, it could be unwillingly single, willingly single. 2021 data showed that 28% of Americans live alone. So approaching a third of Americans live alone today. If we compare this to just 60 years ago in 1960, that number has more than doubled. It used to be just 13%. So we went from one out of 10 people being single today to basically one out of three people, adults, being single single now. Now, if you actually look at more of the stats on this, 31% of adults basically one in three, say that they're either single, unmarried, with a partner, living with a partner in a committed relationship. Now, when you look at some of the studies having to do with singleness, it's actually black adults who are far more likely to be single, almost 50%. And almost in the study also showed, which I thought was interesting as well, that nearly 50% of those people who identify as LGBTQ, who are adults, they are close to 50% single as well. They went on to study and show that men are actually more likely to marry or remarry and stay married till death. So more men are married when they die versus women are more likely to divorce and stay single. So you see a increase in singleness among women throughout the entirety of their lives to death. And you see a higher likelihood of either remarrying or staying married uh, all the way to death. So what we're seeing is that there's this trend, especially among women, especially among uh, black adults, as well as in the LGBTQ community of singleness. And I think all of these things when we're talking about this, we're talking in what this article is pointing at at Vox is that in many cases, people are choosing to live alternative lifestyles. They're choosing they don't want to have children or they're maybe choosing or living out um, a part of this divorce culture or they're choosing to experiment with their sexuality and take on some sort of LGBTQ identity. What has all of this done? Well, the breakdown of the family, the de-emphasis of children the de-emphasis of remaining married, remaining faithful till death, all of these things have led to an increase in singleness. In other words, an increase in loneliness. And what Ann Peterson at Vox complains about is the financial burden being placed alone on one set of shoulders. So I think my big takeaway on a lot of this is I think first and foremost, we do need to be more sensitive toward people who are single because I know I have a lot of friends and family who are single and wish they weren't, who are legitimately trying to meet someone. But unfortunately, sometimes that dating pool does feel small. 
On the other end, I think as we're talking about that, I think we need to be more considerate, especially around the holidays, of how we're inviting people, welcoming people, not just assuming that our single friends and siblings are just going to do whatever we want, but that we're including them in making the family plans. This has been one of the huge, like, probably largest complaints I've heard from my single friends, that when they have siblings who have families and then they're single, they're not included in some of the arrangements for the holidays, that it's just the family with kids, just the sibling with kids who helps in making some of the plans. In fact, I've also found it interesting that a lot of the time, even it's the single sibling who would love to host the meal at their home and not always go to the family member's home, but have everyone to their house. So there's a lot of generosity and opportunity for us to be more sensitive. And please, if you know someone single, if this is a question you always ask them, please don't always ask, so are you dating anyone? Because for many people who are single, This is a very sensitive topic, and they shouldn't always be reduced to their dating status or inability to get a date. I think these are really important things. Another takeaway on this topic that is so important as we're talking about the escalating costs of being single in America, a lot of people are still single, are struggling in marriages, or delaying having children for one major reason, and that's student loan debt. Yes, credit card debt can be a part of it. But I know so many people who have delayed marriages. Even my husband and I had to delay getting married because we both have student loan debt. It also makes for challenging financial situations and decisions. Heck, it's part of the reason why we had to move to the Midwest. California just isn't affordable for a lot of people. And the reality is, is that student loans is really impacting a lot of people. On average, a lot of people are paying what would be the equivalent of a monthly house payment for their student loans. And so you're paying what would be an equivalent of a house payment or rent, whatever it might be, and then double that, you're then also paying for your student loan. So many people are struggling to shoulder this burden. And I know some people who very thoughtfully are saying, I'm not going to start dating until my loans are paid down lower because I'm not marriage material until then. And so it brings to mind, and we're going to talk about this a little later on in the show as well when we talk about problems women face today, that a more serious conversation And more, um, I would say, responsible conversation needs to be had about student loans. Young people really don't understand what they're committing to when it comes to student loans. And the stress level that so many people are experiencing today with student loans, I think, is part of what's contributing to the escalating costs of being single in America, but also um, that sorrow of loneliness today, that people are having to work so hard in multiple jobs just to make ends meet. When in reality, there need to be some simpler solutions to help pay off some student loan debt, debt forgiveness programs if necessary, Uh, but really working, you know, doing what you need to to help pay down that debt. And a couple other thoughts as we're approaching Christmas on this escalating cost of being single. As the Christmas approaches, have open conversations. Listen to those people around you who are single. And, you know, don't just go there waiting to slam advice down, but maybe be inquisitive with the life choices they're making. And maybe even ask questions that encourage them to ponder a different way of living. Tell stories, don't give lectures. And remember that as Catholics, we're called to family life. Family life is a natural vocation. 
We're called to be fruitful and multiply. This is at the heart of who we are as human beings. It's a part of our human anthropology. And so I hope that we remember this when we're talking to others, that it's not just Catholics who are called to this. It's at the heart of who we are as male and female. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. We're going to come back talking about why you shouldn't get a vasectomy. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this question. What challenges do women face today? You can comment live now on my Instagram at Timmery, that's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, or give me a call 1-888-914-9149. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Okay, we're going to talk about why you shouldn't get a vasectomy in a moment. And also, I want to hear from you. What challenges do women face today? You can comment now on Instagram. Follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Or give me a call the old-fashioned way. I'd love to talk to you. 1-888-914-9149. Jose is calling, and he has a comment about the rising costs of being single today. Jose, what's your comment? Oh, we lost Jose. Okay, Jose, I'm looking at his comment right now. We lost Jose, but he was saying that lady, the woman writing at Vox, when she's talking about how singleness is the embodiment of what it means to be American today, in the sense that she believes this from the perspective of self-sufficiency and individualism. If you missed it, go back and listen. But what he said is that this woman is either lying to herself or trying to cope with being single. I actually agree with that. You know, prolonged single years can make you frustrated. It can make you bitter. And I think that that's a challenge, especially as people of faith. If you are listening to the show and you are single or you have a loved one who's single, know how difficult it is when you have this desire for men and women to be married and you've not met someone, you're struggling to pay things off on your own, that there can be this embittering, the bitterment that occurs and you do try to cope. So you cope by being bitter toward people who have children or bitter toward people who are married or sarcastic. And so I do think this really long piece from Vox is really kind of this bitter attitude of trying to cope with frustration over being single and saying, I am happy. And it's important that we're saying, I am happy and we're finding ways to live out that joy, not just by coping, but by finding true joy in God. And that's the problem is that only in God alone will we discover that. I had prolonged single years. My husband and I dated way longer than we ever wish we had. I've shared a little bit about that before, before here on Trending. And it was difficult. And I will say, if I didn't choose to be involved in volunteer work and ministry work, and if I wasn't taking those single years to really spend time in adoration, going to daily mass, like really have a robust prayer life, I would have probably become bitter as well and angry and resentful. But I think one of the challenges to recall that if you wish you were married, if you wish you had children, use this opportunity of your single years to grow as much as possible, to totally unite yourself with our Lord. I really viewed Christ as my spouse in that development of those single years and to understand, you know, people, you know, when you send text messages, when you're dating, oh, good morning or good night, I love you. You know, when you're married, good morning, good night, I love you, all of these things. Well, do we do that with our Lord? Do we have that level of dedication to him? That's something that I was able to develop through those prolonged years of being single. Okay, so coming to the vasectomy question, a really, really important question. I keep receiving this question on social media and it's been a little while since we've talked about it. Why shouldn't 
a man get a vasectomy? Because for some reason, we've got to be clear that it's only men who can actually get vasectomies. Even if you go through a transgender surgery, your body actually doesn't produce sperm. Just to be clear, you can manipulate the anatomy, but nothing works that way, okay? Being careful with my language here. Okay, so why shouldn't you get a vasectomy? Well, before we even talk about it, I want to make sure that you know that vasectomies are reversible. Did you know that? There, I actually have a dear friend who had a vasectomy years ago and late into his 30s learned what the church taught about vasectomies, that it was wrong, and also wanted to have more children. And he went through the expensive process of reversing his vasectomy. It was totally successful. In fact, there's a 99.5% success rate in reversing vasectomies. The average cost of a vasectomy reversal is right around $8,000, kind of $8,015. It can cost more. It can go as low as $800. But if this is something you've been through a vasectomy, you want to reverse it. It's important that you know that there are lots of experts who can do this. You want to go to the best because this does have a very, very high success rate, but you have to go to someone who actually knows what they're doing and has been practicing this and is known for it. So let's talk about a little bit of the side effects of vasectomies before getting into kind of some of the reasons why you wouldn't want to do it from a cultural and faith-based perspective, especially as Catholics. The Population Research Institute, um, there's some work by Kevin Haber where he talks about how, and this is fascinating, no one talks about this. So slide this into your back pocket next time you hear someone talking and making a joke about doing a little snip snip. I'll never forget how many times I've been in a teaching environment because I teach Pilates and I won't be like, oh yeah, my husband's getting snipped this weekend. I'm like choking in my water. Like, how can you talk about that so blasely? So Population Research Institute shows that up to 33% of those who go through with a vasectomy have either long-term or um, shorter-term post-vasectomy pain. They also show, and a lot of it is longer-term, so that's almost, that is actually a third of people who go through with a vasectomy. Now, what's fascinating is you can go through and go through with a vasectomy, but here's what's interesting. Follow me on this. The body continues to produce sperm in the man, even if he has a vasectomy, at the rate of 50,000 cells per minute. Now, what happens with that sperm is the question. It builds pressure in the epididymis and parts of the testicles, which eventually the epididymis ruptures from pressure and the blood testes end up having this massive level of pressure and it's too much. And so you're seeing ruptures. Well, what happens when that occurs? Well, as we know, first, sperm cells are extremely potent. This is what makes it so that they can break through the outer layer of an egg. This is also why, if you've ever studied it, it's actually kind of fascinating. If a woman sleeps with multiple partners, the sperm from the partners will start to fight each other and attack each other because sperm has a mission to fertilize an egg. And so if there are other sperm that are a threat that is not the same biological sperm, well, then it attacks. And so what's fascinating is we have to understand the potency and the strength of sperm. So if you take that potency and it's not being released as it's supposed to, a man's immune system is not prepared for such a strong and active sperm cell to be in his bloodstream. So what happens is when that rupture occurs in the body from the sperm being blocked for so long from the vasectomy, it ends up breaking the into the bloodstream. 
it breaks past the blood testes barrier. So what happens is the body considers the sperm in the body to be a major infection. And so the body starts to fight. This is where we see autoimmune responses, where the body creates antibodies to attack, and the body actually starts to attack and reject itself. And so for a lot of people who have gone through with vasectomies, they actually end up developing various types of autoimmune disorders. Now, MD H.J. Roberts has done extensive research for over 30 years on vasectomies, and he says this is the dirty little secret of the urology trade. He says no other operation performed on humans even approaches the degree and duration of multiple immunological responses that occur in the post-vasectomy state. But honestly, what man wants to go and say that he's having reactions to his vasectomy? I think that's embarrassing for a lot of men to even talk about. I and mean, who really wants to talk about that? You see, this is a dirty little secret that urologists do not talk about that they know. Let's talk for just a brief moment about some of the side effects of having gone through with a vasectomy. Some of the diseases include everything from prostate cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, erectile dysfunction, chronic testicular pain, chronic inflammation, epidermatitis, and many other things that we could talk about with relation to pain and testicular cancer. They also have an increased incidence in recurrent series of infections. Um, let's see, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, sev several other forms of cancer, diabetes, multiple sclerosis, migraines, and other forms of headaches, liver dysfunction, generalized lymph node enlargement, and adrenal gland malfunction. A lot of autoimmune re reactions, it's fasting, we see autoimmune diseases, food allergies, all these things on a rise. Maybe it's because we continue to, for some reason, act as if God got it wrong when he created the human body for a purpose. And they actually got it right. I think that when we take our body out of the context from which it was created to function, and we start to stymie certain functions in the body, of course we see consequences. So let's talk first. First, the Catholic Church on vasectomies teaches explicitly that vasectomies are actually a form of birth control. It's a grave evil to go through with a vasectomy. It violates the unit of and procreative dimension of marital intimacy. It's not healthy for men, as I just discussed, and the church would, of course, be against anything that is unhealthy, not just physically, but biologically, physiologically for a human person. So if you missed that, I really want to encourage you to listen to what I was just sharing, that dirty little secret from the urologists having to do with vasectomies. You see, neither men nor women should solely be responsible for the potency of human life. And this is where we get into debate and problem, well, should women take birth control? Should men use go through with vasectomies. Neither. You see, this is where we have the gift as people of faith, as Catholics. If you're married or pondering the vocation of marriage, even if you're not dating someone, I want to highly recommend that you read the encyclical by Pope St. Pope Paul VI back in the 60s called Humana Vitae. Everyone should read this encyclical because what it helps us understand is the responsibility of being parents and the potential for new human life. And it opens the door helping us to understand if for, going to be really clear here, serious reasons. Humana Vitae is the name of the encyclical, by the way, if you're asking. Um, for serious reasons, Humana Vitae says that 
if for serious reasons you need to space children or avoid children for a time, abstinence is your option. But the abstinence has to be for an indefinite indefinite amount of time. You can't just be like, for the rest of our life, we're just going to abstain. But the idea is, is that abstinence can be utilized to wait to have more children. I have a dear friend whose husband came up to her after their second child and said, honey, we're not going to have any more children. She said, okay, well, I'm Catholic. And so if we're not going to have any more children, we're not going to engage in marital intimacy anymore. We're going to have to live in separate bedrooms. It was a difficult conversation. It was a very difficult environment, but that was what she had to do upholding the vow taken to her husband before God when she stood there at the altar. Someone just asked on Instagram, let's see, I'm going to go back to the question, Lynn Lu, what if your husband doesn't want to have any more children? I think it's important that we remind each other of the vows we take, of the commitments and the conversations we had to begin with. And this is where natural family planning can be a help and a resource, but natural family planning, this is the benefit, that it's the husband and the wife who are meant to do it alone. It's not just supposed to be the wife alone. It's the two together who are supposed to be utilizing and aware of the woman's body and natural family planning. But we have to take seriously what the church teaches in Humana Vitae, that it must be for serious reasons that we're delaying having children or spacing them out. And so I really want you to read Humana Vitae, to ponder it, recognizing that as married people, together with your spouse, you're culpable before God for the decisions you make about having more children. As we know, vasectomies are off the table, birth control is off the table. Absence can be used for a season, but is not meant to be used indefinitely. And Humana Vitae does an incredible job. This encyclical, again, we're posting it on social media and it'll be in the podcast notes for today's show. But I want to end with a couple thoughts. First of all, I know that various health issues can come up as well as fear of having new kids. One of my dearest friends um, had a honeymoon baby, a baby um, conceived a baby anniversary next year, and then had twins. She had four kids under the age of three, and then she ended up getting pregnant again really quickly. Someone who was just extremely fertile. She has five children within four years of just having gotten married. Huge surprise. Is that what we planned? You know, there are questions like this people could throw out there. God provides the graces. God works miracles when there are health issues surrounding fertility and being able to have children and carry to term. The greatest stories of salvation history had to do essentially with unplanned pregnancies. Women who were told that they would otherwise be fertile. God provides the graces, the miracles, the opportunities for growth. There's a reason at the dawn of creation... That God said in Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful and multiply. Because this is at the heart of the human person and our mission as human beings. And that's why when we talk about vasectomies, birth control, all of these things we think, we perceive will make life a little easier. But in reality, all of these things confuse who we are, what our mission is, how we collaborate with our spouses, how we relate to the opposite sex, and they stymie the opportunity for growth when it comes to new life. So again, I just want to repeat how important it is 
to read Humana Vitae. Again, we post a link to that on my social media. Follow me at Timree, that's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, but it's also available in the podcast notes for today's show. You're listening to Trending with Timree here on Relevant Radio. Okay, another comment came in from Rough Cut Company. This is Kim. I think that what women struggle with today is a stigma of having a lot of kids. I have four, all four and under, two twins, and I'm only 27. I'm constantly getting asked, you're done, right? Great comment, Rough Cut Company. Okay, this transitions into another topic I wanted to talk about, but the question of the hour has been, what challenges do women face today? Okay, this is a little bit different of a direction, but I do want to take Kim's comment for a second here, that women struggle today with the stigma of having a lot of kids. Isn't it funny that if you get over two children, people consider that you had a lot of children? Like, once you hit three, people find that they can start commenting about how you're done, right? Or are you going to have more kids? Or, you know, they start talking about various things to do to stop having children. And I find this fascinating because I think a lot of women uh, feel pressure and feel judged based on what decisions they make, if they choose to be a stay-at-home mom, if they choose to have four children, five children, three children for that matter, or more. And I think that at the heart of that, we see there's this confusion today surrounding femininity that as if something's wrong with having four children and being home with your kids, but there's nothing wrong if you choose to not get married, be single, never have children. Isn't that fascinating that the culture accepts singleness, not getting married, everything's fine, but then if you have multiple children, it's like, well, are you done yet? Like, you can't really keep going with this. You know, people, I always find it fascinating when someone has more than a few children. People always try to start to pick at the mom, like, oh, well, you know, her hair is thinning. Or, well, yeah, she's gained some weight. As if those are the standards that we always need to live by. Don't get me wrong, it's great to take care of yourself. But, and that's important. But I think that we idealize this perfect idea of two or three children, and that that's what is financially affordable. That is what is physically possible for our bodies. That is what is manageable for the day-to-day, one-on-one time with your kids. I think that we have to break out of this mindset as men and women and understand that this box mentality about human life and what a family looks like in terms of how many children is really damaging how we view ourselves and the openness we have towards human life. I'll be back tomorrow talking about what challenges women face today.